Um, the intensive study of Exodus and Luke is coming to a close today. But that just means that it's opening up another chapter to something brand new. Uh, what we're going to be teaching in, this, in the next season is going to be two books in the Old Testament, which is Leviticus and Numbers, and in comparison to Matthew, Leviticus and Numbers with Matthew. That's going to be for another eight weeks, and when I tell you this is going to help you to understand the whole concepts, all the concepts of the sacrifice, right? The purpose. Why Jesus? Why was he chosen? Why was the season that he was in chosen? And I'm going to give you a little glimpse because I believe that it's always good to give people a little bit of a snapshot, or in the movies we call it a trailer, right? Give you a little bit of a trailer of what we're talking about in the next season. So that you understand that things were made for you. Even the Sabbath was made for you. God in his omnipotence is able to identify a season for you to go through something to get through something. Example, Genesis chapter 6 all the way to chapter 9 speaks of an event that most religions talk about. It's an event that had to do with the earth being flooded. The flood becomes the enemy in that, in that particular scene, right? Because it's a cleaning out, but a lot of people die in that, that flood. And, and so the first thing we think about is there must have been a time allocated for the flood. God set a time for the flood. What if I told you the flood would only take place if a Noah existed? Let me, let me take you. I, I want you to start looking at the Bible in a different way. There are things that have happened in the word of God that when they took place, it was because the right person was there. God uses the people what sometimes looks like favor upon a person, but it's favor on an assignment. Where it's like, oh my God, this person has so much favor. Look at people like Joseph. Oh my God, he has so much favor. But it's not the favor on the person. It's the favor on the assignment. But that person is in the assignment, so they look like they got favor. So Noah was identified by God to be the right person for the flood. So the flood had to wait for Noah, not Noah for the flood. Who's with me so far? You take it a step further, you go to Genesis chapter 12, and you find the story of Abraham. And you come to the realization that God was looking for someone to fit the mold to be able to declare a land that was going to be for a future land for future people. In other words, the real estate had to be obtained first so that it can be identified in the future. Now, the problem with real estate or any inheritance is that you have more than one inheritor. And even today's battle that's going on right now in the Middle East is based on a plot of land. It's about inheritance. See, because Abraham, obviously, in his identifying or being identified made a mistake sometimes there are crosses or should i say 
threads that are formed based on mistakes. Take a step further. Abraham was told by God that there was going to be a promise even though him and his wife were sterile. But God told them there will be a promise. I am going to grant you a child. But sometimes in our desire to push God's envelope, we start to do our own thing to try to get God's job complete. So in that process, he ended up creating a schism. You know what a schism is? He created another side of the fence that didn't need to be there. So now he has a son named Ishmael instead of just Isaac. And his son Ishmael becomes now the opposing force who also receives of the inheritance because every child receives of the table. Whether you're good or you're bad, you are at the table. So Ishmael and Isaac became the fight of the generations. What else do we have? Not just Ishmael and Isaac, but there are other kids that Abraham had because Abraham didn't just have Agar, the servant of Sarah. He didn't just have Sarah, his wife, but he also had Keturah, who doesn't get talked about. And Keturah is the third wife or the third person that Abraham had in a relationship with who had a lot of children. So now the table is for three generations, three different groups. It causes a divide. How do we resolve that? Well, with what we're going to talk about today, it gets resolved. I want you to look at one more person. Let's go to Moses. And look at Moses in his identifying, right? He was identified by God. 400 years of slavery had to take place because the right person wasn't found until 400 years. Let me repeat that again. You got to understand the way God thinks. You came into the picture, and when you did, that's what caused a trickle effect from heaven to earth. When you were born, yes, you. I'm not talking about anybody else. When you were born... You brought a flavor to the world that it would not have without you. And God chooses and identifies you in the midst of many. Because his desire is to get you to know that his selection of time and things that go on around in your life was because he was waiting for you to show up. Look at this. Moses pops on the scene. He has to be removed from his people. He gets to the other side. This is an exodus now. He gets to the other side, and he's raised up in a whole different society. He's now with the Egyptians, being taught how to speak Egyptian, how to move. He understood the movement, the whole culture, removed from his culture, from his people. Because it was that kind of person that was going to be required to be able to free his people. Why? Because sometimes we are conditioned to be a certain way. And our conditioning comes with our past experiences or what our parents taught us. And those teachings become part of our paradigm. And so we can't break loose because we don't know what loose is. For example, I know people today 
that the only thing that makes them happy is money. And let's go there. And they need to see cash. Like they don't even like the electronic stuff. They need to have the paper. Because the paper makes them feel like they own something. But you know what those, if you really think about it, do you know what those papers are? They're certificates. You can't eat it. I remember the story somebody told me one time. He said somebody fell into a hole. But in the hole, there was a treasure. And the treasure had, there was gold and there was cash, you know, all these things. And the person started getting hungry. But they couldn't get out. Their celebration was momentary. Because although they felt like they had it all, they had nothing because they were in a hole with that which doesn't produce. They couldn't cook it. They couldn't eat it. They died thinking they were rich. Y'all not hearing me. Their wealth was fictitious because they were chasing what, what they thought produced and didn't produce because there was no movement. Because it's about exchange. Why do, we, why do we embrace each other before we start the service? Because there's power in exchange. If you keep your love for yourself and you say, well, I love, but you only love for you. There's no exchange, so it's just like falling into a hole with money. Y'all didn't hear that. If you don't know how to exchange that love, it doesn't have value. So the value of things is based on exchange, and it increases because you are giving. And not only are you giving, but you're also receiving. Anybody familiar with uh, cryptocurrency and stuff like that? Anybody? No? Yes? Yes? Well, cryptocurrency, just so you know, has its value based on exchange. If no one's using it, it has no value. It just stays in one place. Well, love is the same way. If you don't exchange love, it has no value. Y'all didn't catch that. I was hoping that you would be like, oh, my God, thank you, Jesus. That means you can tell your children all day, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. If you don't exchange, it just remains a pack full of cash. Because you are good at saying it, but not good at exchanging it. That was just a trailer of the next... Uh, syllabus for the next uh, eight weeks that starts next week by the way just giving you a little heads up of what we're going to be talking about but today today we're finalizing uh our teachings oh we're gonna it's funny because look how god does things i skipped week seven those of you who have your syllabus i skipped week seven last week i don't know what made me do that until today i realized why because it was on the passover and the last supper so I'm finalizing today with the Passover and the Last Supper. The Passover feast is a significant event described in the book of Exodus, which commemorates the Israelites' liberation from Egypt, from their slavery in Egypt. It's detailed in chapter 11 and 12. Now, 
here's the overview. I'm only going to give you an overview because there's so many details involved in this. The first thing I'm going to talk about is a lamb sacrifice. Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 and 6. Let's, uh, let's go there. Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 to 6. Exodus 12, 3 to 6. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. Stop. This is the statement made in the Old Testament to set something up for the future. This lamb without blemish, each household was, they had to sacrifice a lamb for all the sins that were committed in the family for a year. So you know, all that everyone did was now put into this one moment. What's interesting is that when we get into Leviticus, you'll find out, I talked about it last week a little bit, this concept of a scapegoat, where the blood of the lamb or the blood of the animal went on the head of the goat and the goat was released. Well, in this case, we find that the lamb has to be represented. And it's interesting that one of the greatest statements made in the book of John was by, John chapter 1, was by a man named John the Baptist. He understood this truth and he applied it and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he saw Jesus who was without blemish. The blemish that they're talking about here is not a blemish in looks. Because we're so superficial right now. I mean, society is so superficial. But it was a, a, a no blemish within, meaning your character without blemish. The selection and sacrifice of a spotless lamb symbolized the need of an innocent substitute to atone for sin. It had to be an innocent substitute. Now, why did Jesus have to become that lamb? Because every, first of all, he helped the lambs out. Thought I'd throw that in there. Y'all ever seen the commercial, uh, Chick-fil-A? One of the first ones where the cows were having conversations with each other. You remember, right? So, so guess what? There is this area where God's preservation is culminated into one. And what he did was every sacrifice done with blood, with animals, he took it into himself. And only God could do that, right? So here's the dilemma. If God is the only one who can do it, then only God could say, I'll do it. In other words, no one else could be that sacrifice. So everyone else was blemished. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, everyone else was blemished. He was the only one. Now, here's, here's a backtrack a little bit. When Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake. Everybody remember the earthquake that took place, right, on the cross? There was also an eclipse. Did Jesus cause the eclipse, or did the eclipse wait for Jesus? Blood on the doorpost. Exodus 12, 7. The most powerful element of the blood is the ability to protect. There is the whole concept of passing over is about the passing over of death to all those who were covered by the blood. The blood over the doorway was significant because now everyone who was under the blood is now going to be saved from death. Now, why is that important? Because whether you are bad or good, if you follow that instruction, you're under the blood. Ugh, nobody's going to like this one. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. If you were the most perfect person, you did everything right, you had the best character. You were even a high priest. And you were outside that door when death passed by. What would happen to you? You would die. In other words, it didn't make a difference how good you were. It was whether or not you were in the house where the blood was over the doorway. You're not hearing me. You could have done everything perfectly fine if you did not follow the instructions of that moment and you were outside, you were going to die. But the assignment, praise God. But the opposite also applies. You ready for this? I hate using this one, but I got to because I need, I need you to see how depraved. If Hitler was there, that, that type of person was there during the Passover, and he happens to be inside the house where the blood was over the doorway, what would happen to Hitler? He would have survived because it wasn't him, it was the blood. I know it was the blood. Yeah. Because it's the, it's the blood that distinguishes. It's not about, here's what the blood does. So that you understand that there is evidence of being in the house, right? Eventually, You've got to live what's in the house. So when someone starts living a life that's right, it is a result of being under the blood. But living right doesn't put you in the house. Living right is a byproduct of being under the blood. Everybody, is everybody with me? So what happens is, we confuse it. 
And we tell people, you got to live like this, do like this, act like this. We give them a list of things and we don't realize, get them in the house first. Let them be under the blood. Stop trying to give them a list of rules. Let the rules be applied by being in the house where the blood causes you to live right. It is the byproduct. What is my job? What is the job of pastor? What is our job? You know what the job is? To get people in the house. That's my job. It's not, see, I'll teach you. That's all byproducts of that. But the truth is, I got to get you in. So you have the experience of the Passover. Because your experience with the Passover will bring you to a place to say thank you. When you're close to death and you're in that place, in that bed, and you're going, wow, you, and, and, and death passed over, you're going to say thank you. Who's hearing me? So I'm trying to tell you, we get so caught up in rules, instructions, and all this stuff that we scare people away. Oh, I don't want, yeah, we know humans don't like accountability, period. Humans just don't like accountability. We don't like to be held accountable. Even when we say we do, we don't. And we'll use humility as a badge. Our humility is our pride. Stop. We go around telling people how humble we are. Just so humble. I'm humble. And the moment you release that, you are prideful. Because pride is disguised. That's why even sometimes, you know, when you meet certain people, you know, sometimes you ain't got to tell them, you know, like last night I was in an event with my daughter. I'm not going to tell them, you know, Pastor Israel Pena here. Repent. No. Israel. You know, and if, and if I get introduced by somebody else as pastor, okay, amen. But that's, I'm going to introduce myself. And I'm going to let you know that we're all in need of a... We're all in need of a, we're all in need of a savior. From the top, if there is a top, to the bottom, if there is a bottom. The application of the lamb's blood on the doorpost, it signifies protection from the impending judgment of God. This symbolizes the idea of being covered by the blood of Christ for salvation and protection from spiritual, listen to this, from spiritual harm. So not only are we talking about the cross or the blood being for salvation. Please hear me. Salvation is important. But while we're here, let's also partake in the other benefits of the cross. What are the other benefits of the cross? Well, first of all, you have a soul that's healed. A healed soul will always lead into a body that's healed as well. So the cross is part of, and this is when people, the, the works of the cross. You know what the works of the cross are? The works of the cross are three and a half years of Jesus in ministry to the cross. Let me say it again. 
the works of the cross is three and a half years. We cannot neglect the three and a half years of Jesus teaching, doing miracles, signs, and wonders, and say the culmination. Yes, the culmination is at the cross, but the completion is at the tomb. You need to know there's going to be a manifestation of what took place. I love the fact that Jesus didn't miss a beat. He knew that he had to play different roles. He said, in one area, I got to play the role of a human. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it because I'm going to start from an embryo. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going to skip any phases. I'm going to start from an embryo. And I'm going to go through every stage. I'm going to go through my teenage stage, which is a rebellious stage. How many, how many people remember their teenage years? Is that the truth? And if you don't, remember that. See, here's the thing. Usually your teenage stage comes out when you're by yourself. Because you know how ridiculous it was. So when you're by yourself and nobody's watching, you're doing all types of stuff. Y'all laugh because y'all know it's true. When nobody's watching and only God is laughing, <laughs> looking at you like, yeah, boy, I wish I could show this one on television. I want to show this one right here. Those are the phases, the stages that we should keep remembering because it'll keep us from judging others. Yeah, I did that right there. I did that here, good thing. Amen. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. Don't lean on this thing. I can read lips. My wife was telling me from afar, do not lean on this. And so, praise God. And, then, and now she's telling me, why do you have to tell them that? So I, and I can read lips while looking elsewhere. Exodus 12, 8, the use of unleavened bread emphasizes the haste with which the Israelites left Egypt. Why unleavened bread? Because they, were, they had to leave fast. They couldn't do the whole leaven thing, right? That's what it's representation. It also represents that it is a point of purity and a life free from sin. That's the unleavened bread. Bitter herbs. These represent the bitter experiences of slavery and oppression in Egypt. It serves as a reminder of the harsh realities that God delivered them from. Eating in haste. The readiness to eat in haste reflects the urgency of the situation. It is urgent. You, we got to get out now. Every single plague took place for the sole purpose of saving you. Sometimes that which is bitter in your life is a part of getting you to your next stage. Oh, Lord, I don't want that. I don't want to taste that. And that's the thing you needed to get to the next stage. Why me, Lord? Why not somebody else? Because you are the one who's going to have the weight of that later on in a good way. Ah, let's put it on a scale. Let's put it on a scale. When you put all that bitterness on one side, God now has to bring evenness to that. So he says, oh, that's a whole lot of bitter. 
You lost a whole lot. You lost a lot, but I'm about to give you a whole lot so it can be balanced. I'm speaking to you. God is talking to you today, letting you know he's going to balance the scales in your life. Jordan. Even her name means crossing over. I'm telling you that if you want to measure where God's going to take you, make sure you sit down and get the details of all the bitterness, the hearts broken, the moments when things didn't go right. Measure that and say, now, God, here's what I ask you. Even it off because that's what you do, Lord. You even the playing field. Even it off, and this is what he does. And depending on how much weight that is, that's what you should be expecting from God. Passing over. The term Passover itself originates from God's promise to pass over the house. We touched on that. Feast of the unleavened bread. So all that gets done, by the way, those are, how many people here have ever done communion before? Show of hands. All right, so guess what you were doing? When you were doing communion, you were partaking in the Passover. There was new blood being described there, and it was the blood of the new covenant, and it was going to be the passing over. So when you say, I'm ready to take communion, by the way, that's a cue for anybody who's ready to give communion. When you say, I'm ready to take communion, you're saying, Lord, my house, this is your house, right? My house requires the unleavened bread and the blood over the doorpost, me. Why? Because I know I'm on this earth and I know everything that this earth has to offer, everything that this earth can give, I am susceptible to it. So, Lord, I need a Passover moment. So when you're taking communion, you are declaring a Passover moment with the new covenant. You don't need the lamb's blood. You need the lamb's blood. So today, we're going to live this moment. Those of you who came today is because God wanted you to be at the table. Those of you who are visitors today, God wanted you to be at the table. He wanted you to partake in this moment. And the chapter I like to use is Luke 22 to describe the moment. Please stand. We're not done. We're just doing something. We're not done yet. The last supper in the book of Luke is detailed in Luke 22. There are people who like to use 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul did it. That's wonderful. Others like using the other gospels. I like using Luke. Because Luke was a doctor. And because he was a doctor, he was detailed. And everything he did was on purpose with purpose. And everything he jotted down was on purpose with purpose. And in the book of Luke, it makes it clear that something took place. And that the blood of the lamb over the doorpost 
was a blood that was specifically identified as the blood of grace. And his grace is sufficient. The institution of the Lord's Supper, during the Last Supper, Jesus institutes what is known as the Lord's Supper, or some places call it communion. He takes the bread, gives thanks, takes the blood, identifies the blood, and so we're going to read it. We're going to do it the way the Word says, and I'm stalling because I want to make sure everybody has one in their hand. And listen to this. In 1 Corinthians, so I can free some people up right now. In 1 Corinthians 11, déjamelo ahí, necesito. Yeah, I know, yeah. In 1 Corinthians 11, there's talk of the Lord's Supper. Back in those days, the Lord's Supper was an actual meal. Literally a meal. Watch this. And the meal was a large amount of bread that could feed a whole family. And it was a lot of wine. It wasn't this little thing that we take here. We're just going to use it today, though. What am I saying? That because it was a meal, there were people that didn't come to the gathering for the service of recognizing and remembering Jesus. And the sacrifice. You know what they did? They would come and take the food and take it home with them. They would steal that food. And you know what? It was a complaint in the letter to Paul. The church of Corinth was having an issue with people taking the food from the pantry, taking it home. So when they wrote to Paul, Paul had to respond. And what did he say? He said, listen, some of you are taking this stuff unworthily. And you're going to end up dying. He was kind of rough. You know what that translated into today? What's sad? There are people who will preach a message saying that if you take communion unworthily, meaning, meaning you're in sin, that you can't take it because you can die. I know people that did not take communion for years. How are you going to tell somebody that the very thing that can heal you can kill you? Who did he die for? He died for humanity. He died so that we would be free. So then why did that come about? Because just like every institution, there's a need to try to regulate. Like telling people they have to get baptized in order to take communion. That's not even biblical. Where did you find that? That was institutionalized. Or you can only be baptized at the age of 12. As if 12 is the age of understanding. There are children that, go, that understand way before 12. And there are those that don't understand at the age of 12. They need to wait like much, many years later. My point. That. You not taking Holy Communion is like saying that if Jesus touches me, I will die. When this is a representation of the body and blood, a representation, not that it is. This doesn't turn into like, you know, and it turns into the blood of Jesus. That doesn't happen. 
This is us acknowledging the sacrifice, the covenant that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to read this and just follow me because the instructions are for us today as well. Not just the disciples that were in front of him. So praise God. Luke chapter 22. Amen. Luke 22, we're going to go to verse. I'm going to start with verse. That way we can get right to it. 14. 22, 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Everybody say at the table. We are literally at the table, guys. To eat this Passover meal with you before. He said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. Everybody take your cup. Do we have two of them now? Or how do how we, you guys have the two? Or? Oh, they have both of them together? Oh, no, no. Okay. I thought we were going to do what we did last time. But amen, we didn't do it. Just follow my instructions. When you drink this part of the wine that we're going to drink right now, or this grape juice, you're not going to drink the whole thing. We're going to do it exactly the way it was done at the table with Jesus, recorded by the Dr. Luke. Amen? It says, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So watch this. Do not drink the whole thing. Drink a portion of it. Leave another portion inside. Amen? Everybody, here we go. Thank you, Jesus. Then he took some bread. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body. That little one right there. This is my body. Which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. And eat. After supper. He took another cup of wine. Everybody say another cup. He took another cup of wine. Thank you, Jesus. And said this. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Take and drink.
Many miracles have taken place while taking Holy Communion. Healing in the soul, healing in the body, and a declaration of salvation. The completion is this. Before Jesus was able to say, it is finished, he said, I'm thirsty. And when he said, I'm thirsty, they brought him sour, spoiled wine or vinegar on a hyssop branch. When he drank that, he took in the last of the Old Testament. He had to die with the old because his blood was going to be of the new. And when the soldier pierced him in his side, the word says water and blood came out. Meaning that the new wine was embedded in him and the church was born from his side. Y'all didn't hear me. The church is the Eve to Jesus. For Eve was born in the side of Adam. And today we're experiencing that moment that took place 2,000 years ago. And if anyone asks you why you took wine twice, it's because on the cross he took it twice. He took it and he gave. That first wine that you drank is a representation of your old. Of what took place before. But when you took the bread and the wine, you showed that you acknowledged the sacrifice and the grace of our king on that cross. Father, I thank you for this moment. Each of us in our personal relationship with you. Thank you for calling us to the table where miracles, signs, and wonders take place. Thank you for calling us to the table, my God, to show that we are true inheritance, inheritors who have an inheritance in you. Thank you for showing us once again that what you've obtained was for us so that we may live, but live life abundantly. Not just when we get to heaven, but even here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, we try to include the, the kids, right? So we give them grapes. The truth is, this is a family affair. And the moment you came and became a part of this moment, you made a declaration that you are a part of the greatest family in the universe. Thank you, Lord. What's the purpose of what we did? There are a couple of them. The first one was a prediction. Jesus did it as a prediction. He made sure that it was understood what he was going to do at the table during Passover. 
he was making it clear that that event was going to lead to another event of him on the cross. And that everything that took place at that table was what was taking place at the table. Jesus, according to the word of God, was crucified before the foundation of the earth. How do you understand that? That the plans of God were already set up for that moment. Yeah, amen. So, in 722 B.C., there was a destruction or what they call the first diaspora of the Jews. The Assyrians were responsible for that. Immediately after that, in 586 B.C., that wasn't immediately, that was like 200 years later, 586 B.C., the temple was destroyed for the first time. The very temple that was put up by Solomon was destroyed. Why is that important? Because that was the next diaspora that took place by the Babylonians. And every other generation or group of people or, or structure or government that took place afterwards led to one moment. And Jesus was born during the time of the Romans on purpose. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. Every government that took place was not going to be enough until the Romans showed up. So the Romans became the paving way for Jesus to show up. He couldn't come during the Babylonians. He couldn't come during the Greeks, Medo-Persians. He had to come during the time of the Romans. Why? Because he was about to introduce the kingdom. And in order to effectively introduce the kingdom, he needed a kingdom that was in opposition. That was strong to show that his kingdom was going to be greater than that kingdom. He's the only person who's been able to show power without lifting up one weapon. And today we still worship him. Today, 2,000 years later. Because it took his kingdom to dominate that kingdom. And the Romans were powerful. Thousands of years of control. And right now, the remnants of the Roman Empire still exist. That's why everybody has an eagle. Think about that. Now, today, everybody meaning governments, flags, and they always want to pronounce an eagle. But there's something about right now that if you understand the power of our king, then the kingdom of this world will not have dominance over us. But we're afraid because... Everything that's accepted by the general populace, it must be okay. No. We have a king. We understand their presidents and their prime ministers. That's all good. But we have a king. And he has a kingdom. And we're a part of his kingdom. And what we just did right now is part of the citizens of the kingdom of God. We expressed our citizenship in the kingdom. And we get all the benefits that come with the kingdom, and his king. Establishment of a commemorative practice, Jesus instructs his disciples to continue this practice. We are told to continue. What is the reason for it? Unity and fellowship. 
We want to make sure that we are always in unity and fellowship for it is truly the manifestation of the kingdom of God. That's why unforgiveness is such a bad area in the kingdom or in God's master plan because it removes you from being united. When you are unforgiving, you are taking on the tenets of Satan. That's a hard one. But I'm going to say it again because you got to understand what I'm saying. Every time you are unforgiving, you are dancing the dance of Satan because he is unforgiving. Do you think it's just God that tossed him out? Or do you think it's the pride of the devil that will never come back? Y'all didn't catch that. Do you think that it was God's, God caught tossing him out, the devil out, because of how bad he was? Or is it the pride of the enemy that would never come back to God? For the God we serve is a forgiving God, but the devil is so prideful he'll never come back to God. Revelation chapter 13, and man, we're going to get into that. The next, the next tier of, of teachings after this, this eight weeks, we're going to go into the book of Revelation, Ezekiel. We're going to go in because I need you to understand what's happening right now. Revelation chapter 13 shows us and says clearly there will be people that will not, their hearts will be so hard, they will see the miracles, the signs and the wonders, and not turn to God. I, I can't fathom that. Like, man, you see Jesus, you see what he does, and you're still not going to want because they'll have the heart of their father. And the devil can't have, the devil can't procreate, but he can recreate. He can't procreate, but he can, he can build paradigms. All of his children are based on a thought, not based on birth. Jesus, let everybody get this. When Jesus told the Pharisees and the people that were in that group in John chapter 8, when he said, because they kept saying, our father is Abraham. He said, no, your father is the devil. The reason why he said that is because the devil cannot have children, but he can, he can promote something to the point where they become adopted in thoughts. And in actions. So Satan is not. He can't create. He can't have children. He can't have, he can't have uh, uh, intercourse and relations with. That whole thing about people saying. I'm the wife of the devil. and That's a lie. The devil cares nothing about procreation. As a matter of fact. He has no body parts. Let me say that again. The devil is not. Driven by procreation. So. The procreative parts of us, he has none of that. That's why he's always trying to thwart the architecture and ingenuity of God. He's always trying to throw in a plug to try to stop continuance. That's his desire. And so our desire is to continue to promote continuance in the kingdom. That's why the church keeps growing. 
The Last Supper is often seen as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It is, but it's also the demonstration of the devotion of Jesus to the church. Every time we have communion, just know this in your, your thoughts. We're being invited to the table by God. It is a declaration of being invited to the table because we receive an inheritance. It is a moment of inheritance. Praise God. And lastly, the comparison between redemption and sacrifice. And with this, we're going to close. In Exodus, redemption was for the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt to bring them to a promised land. Anytime God redeems you from something, it's because he's taking you somewhere. So those of you who recover from sickness, you don't just recover from sickness just to be able to say, I'm fine. There's something that you're about to do in that recovery. Anytime you're redeemed, it's because there's a place of promise that you're going to. If you're here today, and you wanted to hear from God. And God, is, he's telling you right now, your redemption starts here, but there's a promised land where I'm taking you. It's not by chance, folks. You are not here by chance. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or just this second. Your purpose has been defined and God says, I've redeemed you to go through a desert, but to find the promised land. Now your desert could be 40 days or 40 years. That part is on you. Oh, y'all didn't like that one. Ooh, you didn't like that one. See, your redemption or your freedom was intended to be for a moment. What defines that moment? How much you understand the moment. If you don't capture the moment, you don't get the revelation of the moment, you will stay in the moment until you catch the moment. It took, I mean, think about it. It took 40 years for a whole entire people to get to a place that took 14 days to get to. Oh, you didn't know that. They were just two weeks away from leaving Egypt into the promised land. But had they gotten into the promised land beforehand prematurely, they would have been slaughtered by the people on the other side. Because they didn't know who they were yet. They didn't know their identity. And they didn't know who God was. So God had to make sure I got to prepare you. You got to go through every, the grade school, middle school, high school. I got to put you through it. But then there are those who skip class. They like skip. They, 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 uh, what do you call that? Um, they get promoted to the next grade. They, they get skipped, right? Because they're understanding who they are and who he is. And you won't understand who he is until you understand who you are. And you understand who he is. Who you are if you don't understand who he is. Ain't that crazy? So getting to the other side, having to deal with sand and, and, and rocks that throw out water and, and manna from heaven, 
He'll sustain you. Sustainability will be in place. You will be sustained in your tribulation, but it's not your final destination. And it's up to you to get out of that tribulation stage to move into that next position. God wants us there, but he will not let us get there until we know how to deal with the stuff that we're dealing with here. I'm going to say some of us, some of us have an issue with just people. <clears throat> just take a deep breath after that one. We just have a, like, God, I, I could be the best I can be in everything, but why do we have to have people around? You eliminate the people, I'll be the best everything. I'll worship you every day, love on you every day, until you're removed from people and then you want people again. Redemption in Luke. In the book of Luke, we understand that Zechariah's prophecy about God visiting and redeeming his people was clear. Anna, ooh, this is good. Anna, a prophetess, giving thanks and speaking of Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman, I need you to understand, when, when God puts you on earth for just one reason, that's all it is. Do you know why this woman was put on earth? Do you understand? She lost her husband. She, was, she lost her husband at a young age. She was given a promise, and the promise was, you're going to see the Messiah's face. She spent her whole life till that moment. That's kind of, what, what's that? That's not fun. Well, it's purpose, and sometimes purpose is not fun. Because we always want to find the fun, or what, what in psychology, we always want to find the pleasure principle in everything. How does this make me feel good? Oh, the reason I'm going to choose this church is because it makes me feel good. I, I want to go to a feel-good place where they make me really feel good. And when I go and I'm hungry, I get some food and I feel good. I want a place like that. And then God says, no, I've assigned you to this place. And then you go, no, but I don't like anybody there. I don't like anyone there. Why do you send me there? That's why, homie. I need you to hold that bag for a minute. Huh. Wipe off, wipe on. Huh. Because your issue is people. I'm going to put a lot of people around you. Love, love, love. Oh, love, 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 love. Because we don't want that, God says, I need you to have that. Because purpose supersedes the pleasure principle. Somebody's getting blessed today. If it's just one, I'm good. I'm aiming for that. I just want to feel good. Where's the feel good in this church? We, 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 we don't have the chairs the right way either. So you got to consider that factor. Are we aesthetically nice or do we have the things necessary for you to grow in character? Last but not least, you know I'm a preacher, right? The 
both books, Exodus and Luke, emphasize the concept of sacrifice. In Exodus, it's represented through the offering of spotless lambs during the Passover. In Luke, it culminates in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Transition from physical to spiritual. Exodus primarily deals with physical liberation and redemption from earthly bondage. And Luke, the focus shifts to spiritual redemption, liberation from sin, liberation in the area of deliverance in your soul and healing for your body, in your spirit. In other words, you can be held captive in your sickness and it has nothing to do with your body malfunctioning. Go to the hospital. What's wrong with me? The doctor like, there's nothing wrong with you. Go home. There's nothing. And then they'll give you like a fake pill, right? Just because. Placebo, yeah. Take one. And you'll feel better in the morning. You pop it in there. And now your soul thinks that that's the case. And now you feel good. But because you're still living unforgiveness, you get sick again. Because after you take the placebo, (laughs) you get the phone call from that person you can't stand. Or you see them walk by the street, and you're going, and all of a sudden, oh, my my stomach is hurting again. Yes, it's going to hurt your head, your stomach, your heart. Everything's going to hurt your knees because you have yet to understand that your soul is sick. And soul healing is more important than physical healing. People's sicknesses have nothing to do with, all right. On the cross, Jesus took everything, including sickness. But we need to be transformed in understanding that his, that event on the cross was for the liberation of my soul. Once my soul is free, then I'm free indeed. In summary, both Exodus and Luke explore the themes of redemption and sacrifice. Emphasizing physical liberation and also spiritual liberation. Ultimate sacrifice through Jesus Christ. The transition is clear. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you receive your Savior as Lord overall. He is desiring for us to say, Here I am. And do you know something? Even something as small as what you would say is this. This is not small, by the way. But even as something as small as coming to church on a Sunday at noon, you could be doing any other, anything else. It's a commitment that you make to God. And that commitment will allow whatever God is doing through you to be through you and not just for you. We can't be a dam. We have to be a river. You know why? Because a dam stops the flow of water. Or a pool recycles water. Where a river is always water that you've never touched before. You know, that water touches you, you'll never get touched by that same body of water again. Because it flows. now, Now it touches. The water that touched me is now touching her. And then it touches her. But that water that touched you, touched her, will never touch you again. Now it's touching her. And then it goes on to touch her, and it'll never touch you or me again, but touch her. 